Good evening, everybody. Are you all asleep already? <laughs> That's worrying before I've even opened my mouth to speak to you. It's good to see you all. It's nice to be back. Um, Scott, thank you for welcoming me. Um, I don't know what nice thing it was you said about me, but count that for John, and I'm just his brother. Um, that's probably the best way of working. It's good to be back at CE. Um, you caught me on the hop there, um, from music to prayer to reading, and then suddenly um, my turn to get up. I saw some of you in the summer when we were up at New Horizon. Um, and I know you enjoyed that time. I've enjoyed those opportunities, not just to bring my group from church up beside you guys um, time after time when we go there, but also to be encouraged by the sheer number of you who turn up at New Horizon and then just on a normal Saturday night through the winter who turn up to worship and to pray and to listen to God's word. Um, Good on you for doing that and continuing to do that. There's a, a, a verse that I didn't look up before I stood up um, that talks about imitating um, our, our leaders in the faith, imitating their example. Guys, so many of you are following others. Um, you're following Jesus, but you're following others who've gone ahead of you. Um, keep doing that. Um, it's really encouraging to see you all here tonight. I want to talk to you about the passage that's been read for us. The guys might keep it up, actually, on the screen. Is that doable? Um, It might be helpful actually to have it up there just for a few things that I want to to refer to as we journey through. Last Friday night, I finally sat down and watched a film that my children have watched three or four times. How many of you have seen The Greatest Showman? (laughs) It was a collective... (gasps) I'm not asking you how many of you think it's good and how many of you don't. As I watched it, watched the first 15 minutes, 20 minutes of it, I was like, yeah, it's okay. Um, it's, It's... seems to I know where this is going and then as it went on I got hooked in I'm sure some of you who've watched it who's watched it more than once <laughs> there's a few hands going up now yeah I, I got hooked in and particularly came to the, the bit those of you who haven't watched it let me fill you in just very very briefly um, this guy P.T. Barnum living in New York who wants to make a name for himself by building a circus by bringing in all sorts of strange and unusual acts, and many of them strange and unusual people. And as it journeys on, it it starts off very much where the heartbeat of his life is his family, and that's his focus, and, and he's trying to provide for them, and he's trying to enjoy them. But as it goes on, you begin to see him, and more and more he's just pushing out for the dream. He wants to have the biggest circus. He wants to be liked and loved. He's dead earnest that this guy who writes the reports in the paper would write well about his shows he wants to make his show bigger and better he wants to take it on the road he wants fame he wants numbers of people in the greatest desire of his heart is for fame and success but and it comes at the point where the lady the the opera singer sings the song on the stage you suddenly realize for this guy, the words of the song that are being sung are absolutely true for him. It's never enough for me. And that's actually, in one sense, that's the, the, the nub of the, the film. If you go, go watch it again. If you, if you haven't watched it, watch it for a first time. Here is a guy who wants more and more attention, more and more fame, probably more and more money that goes with it. And actually, he's enjoying it, and yet this girl is singing it's never enough for me. It's just echoing, it's never enough. It's never enough. He was the greatest showman. He is still known probably as the greatest showman in that whole um, entertainment industry of circuses. He'll be remembered for that. But he made the biggest mistake 
that any human being can make in making something other than God the greatest, biggest thing in his life. Just let that sink in, and it might be the one thing you take home. Barnum's biggest mistake is the biggest mistake that any human being can make when you make something other than God the greatest, most important, all-consuming passion of your life. And I'll say later on as we journey through, that's not to say that the things that you're passionate about are wrong to be passionate about, whether that's leading worship or playing sport or doing well academically, whatever it is that you, you, you spend your energy on. I'm not saying this evening those things are bad, so don't mishear me. But I am saying if you make those things the greatest desire or passion of your life, your friendships, your relationships, then you're in part missing what God has made you for. Because that's the challenge tonight, that the greatest passion of Paul's life, and it's Paul who's writing this letter to the Thessalonican Christians, and he's writing to them, and the greatest passion, desire, ambition of his life is the gospel. And I hope you see, as we look at this together, that as Paul lives purposefully, joyfully, fulfillingly, leaving a legacy, it's all because he's become consumed with the truth of what the folks have been leading you in worship about for the last 10 minutes. The wonder of how amazing God is and what he's done for us in Jesus Christ and that greatest love that we've found in him. And Paul has discovered, look, everything else set aside, nothing matters to me like it matters to know the gospel, to know Christ, to share the gospel. And so what I want to do just from the verses that we've read together is leave you with three things that are right at the heart of Paul's gospel heart and gospel passion. And it maybe will act as a mirror. You can ask yourself, is that my heart? Is that how I'm going to be known when the days of my life are done? Here goes. Here's the first. This is the heartbeat of Paul's life. I'm going to suggest to you that gospel outreach or making the gospel known to other people is the single greatest purpose of Paul's life. You, some of you have done RE at school and you've done Paul's missionary journeys. In some ways, we're only here at CE tonight because God used a Paul by his Holy Spirit to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Paul's not in, in this town, Thessalonica, when he writes to them, but the very reason for being there in the first place was to take the good news of the gospel about Jesus to them. And the reason he writes now is because many of them had responded to the gospel and put their trust in Christ. And then in chapter 3, verse 2, he mentions Timothy, and he sent Timothy to them. And what's Timothy known as? He's known as our co-worker in what? In the gospel. Chapter 2, verse 19, if we read it again, um, it was read for us just a minute ago, let me read it. Paul says, what is our hope, our joy, our crown in which we glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes again? Is it not you? You're our glory and you're our joy. This is Paul writing to a group of people who've become Christians and he's saying, what is my glory? What is my crown? What is my joy? And he says, is it not you? It's a bit like one of your leaders at CE who has preached the gospel to you, told the gospel to you, lived the gospel in front of you, saying to you, guys, what is my glory? What is my joy? What is my crown? Is it not you, the people who have heard and believed the good news about Jesus? Paul isn't saying that, that he glories in this so that he gets attention, so that people pat him on the back and say, well done, Paul. No, Paul's saying my joy, my hope, my glory is seeing the gospel preached, 
and seeing people respond to it and the response that it produces in lives all around. People, nothing mattered more to Paul. Nothing mattered more than making the good news known and seeing others trust in Christ. Paul wrote elsewhere. He said, I I, want to be all things to all men. Why? So that I might win some for Jesus. He said, another day Paul wrote, he said, look, Christ is being preached by some people. And there were times people were preaching Jesus to make a living. Some people were preaching Jesus to be famous. Paul was even so generous-minded about the gospel. He said, look, I, I really don't care. It's just great that Jesus is being preached. And on another occasion, he said, listen, I've resolved to know nothing in my life among you except Jesus and him crucified. Why? Because Paul lives to make much of the gospel. People, Paul comes into the town. He's thinking the gospel. Paul gets some resources of money. He's thinking, what can I do to use these for the gospel? Paul rolls out of bed in the morning and after his cornflakes or whatever he ate, what's he thinking of? He's thinking about good news of the gospel and how he can make it known to others. I am excited. Even when I come here on a Saturday night and see some of you with the names of teams on the back of your shirts, I don't mean Liverpool or the All Blacks, I mean Malahide, I mean whatever else I've seen as I've walked around. Why does he organize those things? Is it for cheap holidays for teenagers to get out of your parents' hair? No, no, a thousand times no. It's so that others who may not as readily and as easily heard the gospel at CE as you have, it's so that they would hear what Paul heard and preached. When you go on those teams, when you share your faith with your peers, when some of you are involved in leading, teaching a Sunday school class maybe tomorrow morning, or, or sharing in some way in a youth ministry other than being at CE, you are sharing in the greatest enterprise known to mankind and the only thing that will last forever. Never mind, forget the greatest showman, forget the circus, forget playing for the All Blacks, forget Ireland winning the Rugby World Cup. The greatest enterprise known to man that God has entrusted to us is to know the gospel and share it with others. And God is reminding you tonight, don't waste your life on the wrong dreams. I said at the beginning, do your very best with the gifts that God has given you. Your schoolwork, your relationships, your hobbies, all of those are great, but let them all subserviently serve the greatest purpose of, of all that God has given you, to know him and make him known. I had the sad privilege just four weeks ago, five weeks ago, of conducting the funeral of one of my friends. I'm 44. He was 39. He would have been 40 if he'd lived to Thursday this past week, 4th of October. And on one of the last visits that I had with him in hospital, we read our way through Philippians, um, where Paul writes for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. And my friend Stephen said to me, he said, Sam, for me, it is win, win. If I die, I go to be with Jesus, which he has. And if I live, it's a win because I get to not only enjoy my family, but share more with the young people at church of the good news of the gospel. Seeing people come to faith in Christ was huge to Paul. Let me just give you one little challenge before I move on. Charles Spurgeon, who's one of the great preachers of a previous century, he said, how can a man or a woman or a young person even be saved? if they don't care about the salvation of others. How, can you, how could any of us say, I'm a Christian, I've been saved, I've been forgiven because of the death of Christ, but it's neither here nor there to me about my friends. Think about that. It's a real challenge tonight. Paul's greatest passion was the gospel. Second thing, it didn't stop there because gospel growth 
was the passion of his ministry. If preaching the gospel and pointing people to Christ was the greatest purpose of his life, then the greatest passion of the work that he did on an ongoing basis with people was that they would grow in the good news. Paul wasn't content with you saying a prayer, asking God to forgive your sins, and then that was it, some sort of one-off repentance, and then you sit in your armchair and you wait for Jesus to come back for the day that you go to heaven. When Paul wrote to the Philippians about his own life, he said, I want to know Christ. Not just to be saved by him, not just to belong to him, not just so that one day I go to heaven and sing his praises. Paul says, no, I want to know him. I want to get to know Jesus better. It's no surprise then that what he longs for these new Christians at Thessalonica is that they would grow in their faith. Let me take you to the Bible, the passage that we've read for you this evening. Let me just point out some of the things. Paul sends Timothy. And the purpose that he sends Timothy for, the beginning of chapter 3, is to strengthen and encourage. Whenever you read that word strengthen in the New Testament, it's not about bodybuilding, it's not about building your muscles. Invariably, almost without exception, it's about being strengthened in the word of God. It's about your foundations in the faith being more firmly established. It's what you're doing in these minutes as you listen to the word of God. It's what you do when you read your Bible notes. It's what you do when tomorrow morning, as importantly as tonight, you rock up in church and you say, I want to be strengthened. You want to hear the word of God so that you would be strengthened and encouraged. Plus, that word being encouraged is the word that's used of the Holy Spirit, that he's the one that lives in us and spurs us on and encourages us. But Timothy has also been sent to be a fellowship encouragement to these believers, to spur them on. There's a, a running together in the gospel. I was talking on the way in about running and relay running. Um, gospel life is not about running on your own. It's about encouraging others that you run with. Paul has sent Timothy to the church at Thessalonica and he's saying, guys, you, you need to be strengthened in your faith. You need to have running mates running alongside you in the gospel. And in chapter 3, verse 5, Paul has sent Timothy and he said to find out about their faith. Not just, are you all well over there? How's your cat? Have you bought a new car? What are you studying at college? No, he's longing to hear how their faith is growing. It's a conversation about God and the gospel. Now, tonight... Whenever I'm done in a few minutes and you go and get chips or whatever you go and get or whenever you clear out the tuck shop and you talk to each other and you talk about 101 different things. But you know what is an incredible blessing? Is when you find friends that you can talk to about your shared faith. Because in that you not only spur one another on but you grow in your faith. And Paul goes further than that. He says... He's honest with me. He mentions suffering. He said, look, this is part of the deal. We kept telling you in verse 4 that days of suffering would come. Jesus told his disciples in John 16, in this world you will have trouble. It's, a, it's, a, it's not a you might. You will at times have trouble for following Jesus. And then Paul mentions even more worrying. He said, look, the devil at times will endeavor to, to work his worst against you. Paul says at the end of chapter 2, the, the enemy has stopped me getting to come and visit you and encourage you in person. And then he says at the end, or in, in the, the second part in chapter 3 that we read in verse 5, the tempter is working to lead you astray. Do you see what Paul's heart is passionate about? Not the numbers of people who turn up, 
not the number of people who said, I've prayed a prayer and I'm trusting in Jesus. Paul longs to see disciples, young believers, hungry for the Bible, fellowshipping with each other, chatting about their faith, supporting each other even through suffering when it comes, resisting the devil. That's what Paul was passionate about. And young people at CE on a Saturday night at the beginning of October in 2018, this is not only what Paul was passionate about, it's what God has called you to. To go deep, to go the distance, to grow in the gospel. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul talks about pressing on to maturity. So that a year from now, you have gone on further with God. Not just that the gospel is everything to you, not just that you've put your trust in Jesus, but you're growing. Um, my youngest child, Reuben, is 10. Um, Reuben is always onto a new project. The current project, believe it or not, um, is growing mushrooms. Um, <laughs> Reuben has, I'll not call them magic mushrooms, Reuben has a box <laughs> of compost. I don't know where Karen got it for him, but he's got this box of compost. And you, I'm trying to remember what you call the, the, the mushroom stuff that you put in, in among the, 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 the compost. And you put the, the lid on it and you water it. And then it starts to grow. Have any of you heard the phrase, growing like a mushroom? <clears throat> well, last night, Reuben came to me. And he said, Daddy, come and see my mushrooms. So you go, you lift the lid off the mushroom box. And sure enough, these mushrooms that only a few days ago began to stick their heads up are now about two centimeters wide. This was last night at nine o'clock. I said, great, Reuben, your mushrooms are growing really well. As much feigned interest as I could show in mushrooms growing at nine o'clock at night. So great, mushrooms are super. So imagine my frustration this morning when Reuben comes to me and says, Daddy, 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 come and see my mushrooms. They've grown. And I go, yeah, yeah, Reuben, I know your mushrooms have grown. Listen to what, Daddy, come and see the mushrooms. They really, really, really have grown. And I'm going, no, well, Reuben, I know they were about two centimeters wide last night. I'm pretty sure now they're probably 2.05 centimeters wide. Now, yeah, they've grown. I went in, and sure enough, wow, the mushrooms are about three centimeters wide. And when I go home tonight, they'll probably be ready for picking and sticking and dinner tomorrow. The growth is actually visible. If I were to say the thing that concerns me most about my walk with God is could the people who know me closest love me most see me most regularly could they say Sam we can see you growing like a spiritual mushroom God is at work in you God is changing you God is growing you and it's wow you were this yesterday now you're this today and you're going on I'm not saying it's always like that. We're always getting better and better and better. Yes, onto the day where Christ finally makes us perfect. But we're not to sit static. We're to keep going and to keep growing. There's a guy who sat here at CE 13 years ago, 14 years ago. Sat here regularly on a Saturday night. He would have listened. There were times that he then went on and did a bit of Bible college. There were times he would tell you himself that he didn't go on with Jesus. And at the moment, locally, in a church not far from here, tomorrow morning he'll be teaching a Bible class of 24 young people. Because he's going on and growing on. And that's what Paul was passionate about. And it's what God calls you to. Isn't that amazing to think that some of you, a few years from now, could be sitting in a Bible class, not listening but being the one to teach. 
having grown and gone on with God. And I come to the last point that I want to make. Gospel outreach is the greatest purpose of Paul's life. Gospel growth is the greatest passion of his ministry. And then this is the lovely bit tonight. And I think there is a reason why I'm getting to share some of this with you when Gilly's not here. Gospel people are the deep love of Paul's heart. Guys, this is to me the very heart of the passage. Paul cares so crazily much for these people. Listen to how he describes it. Verse 17 of chapter 2. He said, I've been torn away from you. It's almost as if you've been orphaned by my absence. It's like a family breakup. Verse 17, he said, I have an intense longing for you. We wanted to come to you. You're our joy. Chapter 3, when we couldn't stand the pain of not being with you any longer, we sent Timothy. And so Paul sends Timothy. And what you don't realize as you read this, Paul is in a pickle of a place. He's in a place called Berea. He's moved from Thessalonica and he's taken a hiding for the gospel. And then he's had Timothy with him. And because he cares more for the Christians at Thessalonica, he says, look, Timothy can go to you guys. I'll manage on my own somehow. I love you guys so much. I want the best for you guys so much. Here, I'll pour out my life so that you can have the best. Trials come. What's Paul's biggest concern? That he gets persecuted? No. That he suffers personally? No. Paul's greatest concern is that they might be unsettled or rocked in some way in their faith. I think that's incredible that Paul loves his gospel friends so much that his biggest annoyance would be that the trials in his life would in some way upset them as they follow Jesus. This most incredible, deep, compassionate longing for them as believers. I was trying to explain it to my Bible study on Wednesday night at church, that the minute that you become a Christian and enter into a relationship that way, vertically, putting your trust in Christ and entering into relationship with him, putting your faith in him and belonging to God as your heavenly father. The instant that you do that, you inherit every other believer in the room as your brother or sister in Christ. And as my grandfather used to say, God has got some funny friends. You're one of them. I'm another of them. But the minute that you become a Christian, the minute that you have God as your heavenly father, you have the rest of the people in here who love him as your siblings to love and to care for and to cherish and to encourage the whole way through the journey to the finishing line. Paul simply loves these new believers. He loves them in the Lord. He longs for the very best in their lives. He worries over them. He grieves over them like a parent does over their children. My mum, who some of you know, is like that over the four of us. Sam, John, Timmy, Heather. If it's not poor Sam, it's poor Timmy. If it's not poor Timmy, it's poor Heather. And then most of the time, 99% of the time, it's poor John. He's married to Fiona. Poor John. No, I'm only joking. Poor John. My, my mum cares for us because we're her children. Paul cared for these people. He loved them because they were God's children through faith in Christ. They were his brothers and sisters. John 13, verse 34 and 5, Paul, John writes and he says, of Jesus saying, you, you'll know, people will know that you're my disciples by your love one for the other. And at the end of this passage, and I'm going to finish with this, Timothy comes back 
And what pleases Paul most, and you'll go on to this in the next part, I'm not going to steal it, the encouraging report comes back, and Paul's still praying for them, and he's praying in verse 12, may the Lord make your what increase? Your faith? Your hope? Your glory? No, Paul says, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Folks, God is calling you. God is calling his people to love and care for one another in the gospel. There's a challenge. Who's the person in this room tonight to whom you will be that encourager? To whom you will show gospel love and care and concern and compassion? Young folks, that was Paul's greatest desire. Gospel outreach, gospel growth, gospel people who loved each other. That was Paul's heart because it was God's heart. It's Paul's heart for the church in Thessalonica. It's God's heart for the CE in Portadown. That you would be consumed by the greatest enterprise on earth to know Christ and make him known. That you would grow in your faith and Christ-likeness. That you would grow in your love for the brothers just as you have been loved. One last thing close to home. Over the 20 years that I've been privileged to come along occasionally and speak here. Many of your leaders have modeled this to you. Some who've gone before, some who will come after. Guys, you have witnessed this. Maybe one of the greatest privileges of your life isn't being born in Portadown or Lurgan or Tandrake or Armagh or Hamilton Spawn or Rich Hill or wherever you're from. Maybe one of the greatest privileges of your life is that you have watched and witnessed and you know, you know that those who have led from the front here would do anything to point you to Jesus. You know that their greatest desire has been to mature you and grow you in the faith. And you know, boy, do you know, perhaps more than any other privileged group of young people anywhere, that you are held in the hearts of your leaders with the deepest love and concern in the same way that Paul loved these Christians and wanted the best for them. Whenever I conducted that funeral just five weeks ago, I finished, and I want to finish tonight, by reading the words of a hymn that you probably haven't used yet, but maybe somewhere along the line you will. It's about leaving a legacy I know that this, what you do on a Saturday night, already has a legacy all over the place because of what Paul had in his heart. A heart for the gospel, a heart for growth, a heart for loving one another. Let me finish by reading to you the words of a song called When All My Words Are Said. When all my words are said and all my days are ended, my eyes will see the light of earth no more. My soul shall journey on to greater light eternal. A better home awaits on heaven's shore. And when my loved ones speak of how I lived among them, I pray they will recall my heart was yours. A life defined by grace, a legacy of service, who loved 
and gave and lived to honour God. And so while this life remains, help me to bear your image and give my all to follow in your way. Each heartbeat comes from you. So take my hope and passions to serve your kingdom's purpose every day. Oh, the glory, oh, the honour to behold the one I love, my creator, my deliverer, my perfecter, my reward. All my troubles then forgotten. All my pain will then be gone. And I will gaze in adoration at my Lord. Is that the sort of legacy that will be written over your life when the end comes? Your greatest passion to know Christ and make him known, to grow and to love the brothers and sisters in a way that shows the world that you're his disciple. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this precious group of young people. And Lord, I thank you for those who have led them, those who have modeled the gospel before them. And so, Lord, to that end, we continue to pray for those who, particularly Gilly, who has set an example, not just in teaching the truth, but in loving people. Lord, might it be tonight that something of that spirit comes to rest on us? A heart for the gospel, a desire to grow, and a love for one another in Jesus. Lord, work these things in us onto your glory. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray.